0: Hot damn, y'all. Guess what day it is. That's right. It's Thursday, and we're coming at you live. Not live. We're coming at you dead. So it goes with another episode you. <laughs> of the Fire the Cannon podcast. We're just coming at you. I didn't know I was going to say any of this. Uh, we're coming at you live. Not live. Dead. So it goes. We're just coming at you with another episode of the Fire the Cannon podcast. And this week, we are talking about the second half of the book, Slaughterhouse-Five by one Kurt Vonnegut himself. Everybody give him a round of applause. Well, that's a lot of effort I just put into that intro, so I think I'm done now. You guys got Uh, it from here? That was
1: Jackie. I'm your other host, Rachel. I'm the host who doesn't know if she believes Jackie when she said she's not tipsy for this recording.
0: (laughs) I'm not. um, I don't know if you should believe me when you say I'm not hypomanic either, but who knows? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I am not tipsy. I've not had a drop of alcohol all day. Good.
2: Neither have I. I'm Stone Cold Sober, <laughs> and I'm Becca.
0: She's Stone Cold Sober, Rebecca Best.
2: Yes, but my question is, does the podcast always come out on Thursdays? Yes, ma'am. Yes, unless there's a special event. I never noticed. <laughs>
1: what? Is it just that when you see a notification on your phone, you just have never connected that it's always a Thursday?
2: Yeah, exactly that. Okay. It just seems like Thursday is not a big day. So I just, every I, every time I see it's Thursday, I'm like, well, it must just be whenever they finish editing it then. Because otherwise, I feel like Saturday would be the day. Oh,
0: no. Consistency is key. Oh, okay. No, no, no. People don't listen to podcasts as much on the weekends. Because
1: a lot of people like to listen on their way to work or on their okay, way back. Okay, I gotcha. Well, in
2: real yes. life, it's Tuesday, everyone, in case anyone was curious.
0: Currently, it's Tuesday, yeah. But we record any day of the week that we can, any time, any place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I honestly, I don't like the podcast that I subscribe to. I don't know what days they come out. Like, I just think, oh, cool. There's another one. Oh,
1: yeah. I guess that's true for me, too. But
0: But for one that you're on, Becca, you might notice like when it comes out. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's not what is it?
2: My perception. I'm not a very perceptive person. I've been told. Yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> that's
0: different than that's not my perception, but <laughs> that's also an interesting way to say it. <laughs> I just, that's like saying I just don't have perception, and that's why that's not my perception. Well,
2: I think it's because I play Dungeons and Dragons, and so, like, if you have oh, your level of perception, perception check, is how likely you're yeah. going to notice something, so, like, I'm saying my stats for
1: perception are low in okay. real life.
0: But it's true. probably because of all the Satanism, right? Do you
1: remember that, Becca? That in the I 80s? I do remember that. There was a panic about dungeons and dragons. People thought it was satanic. <sighs> wow.
0: We just had a conversation about how Becca thought that the word grub for food was first used and introduced to the English lexicon in the nineteen ninety-four movie The Lion King. She was like, Oh, that was she was like, That was before I was born, and I was just like, Oh my god. So we're asking her to remember something from the eighties. That's not gonna work.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> I won't remember anything from the eighties, that's for sure. <laughs> So, we just recorded two days ago, and the reason is because I'm about to go to... España, España. Correct. And also, after that, I'm going to... France. Germany, but what is it? I don't know what it is. Deutschland. Deutschland. Okay. I was going to say Aleman. I was like, that's what it is in Spanish. That's not the right one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so, anyway, I'll be gone for a while, but by the time this episode is released,
0: I will have been back for... A few days. Yeah. So we're, we're working quite ahead. We're pretty proud of ourselves for that. So after this, we're not recording for a month if everything goes well. I mean, if there's some type of like huge, huge update in the world of literature, I guess we can talk about it, but I wouldn't expect that.
1: <laughs> yeah. We will tell you that. Let's say what's in the pipeline before we get going. What's after this episode?
0: Why did you suggest we talk about the pipeline and then don't know what's in the pipeline? I don't know either. I'm pretty sure
1: you do. You're the one who made the schedule this time. <laughs> Slaughterhouse-Five
0: <laughs> comes out on the 13th, part one. Then it's Goosebumps. Then it's slaughterhouse five part two then it is our interview with francis harding then we're doing a mystery bonus mystery bonus maybe it could be harrison bergeron maybe it could be something else um after that we're doing the wisdom of top of the the wisdom of tahotep (laughs) that's the
2: theo one
0: yeah and then after that it's going to be june and guess what we're doing something gay. Well, it was gay f- gay for the guys and girls for the girls.
1: <laughs> gay why? for the guys, <laughs> girls for the girls. Aren't what we doing What was it? You said
0: something. What did I say? We're doing Moby Dick. Yeah. But I don't know how that relates to <laughs> But before that, before that, we are going to do some The works of Seifo.
1: Very famous lesbian maybe poet. But what did you say? You made a funny Ugh. little saying out of it. Let me look in my text to you.
2: I feel like you could also read Oscar Wilde because he was super gay and everything he wrote about.
0: Oh, yeah. We want to do that, but it's probably going to be better for us to save him for Halloween time one year. We'll do the picture of Dorian Gray.
2: Oh, I actually have read that book, but it was a long time ago. so mm-hmm.
0: I don't remember anything about it myself.
2: It was super gay. That's what I remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure when I read it in high school, I didn't pick up on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was just like, everyone is in love with Dorian G- Gray, and most of them are men. Dorian Gay? And that's what I remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, Dorian Gay. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't have good reading comprehension in general, as I've mentioned many times on this show, because um, I think I talked about how I read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and I did not understand that the narrator had a lobotomy in the middle of the book.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: I haven't read that book, so I didn't know.
0: well, you maybe you could read it and still not know like I did, but I think most other people in the world pick up on that. My friend who was reading it with me, he's just like, "So what did you think about it when he you know had his lobotomy?" And I was like, his what?
2: <laughs> the author, the real author had yeah it was Mary like a had?
0: it was like a memoir, basically, but it's totally missed that. You got to come right out and say it with me. I'm not going to notice otherwise. Did you find it, Rach? No. I, I think I might have said it on... Oh, I found um, it right away, Rachel.
1: What did I say?
0: You said... We're, <laughs> I guess it wasn't as good as I thought. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do Seifo for the girls and Moby Dick for the gays. That's it? Yeah, why oh. did you think it was
1: so amazing?
2: <laughs> That was very (laughs) anticlimactic.
0: Oh, oh, oh. And then you said we're going to do Frankenstein for the goths. So I was like, okay, cool. We got girls, girls, gays, goths.
1: The gays and the goths. Yeah, Yeah.
0: the three genders.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And they often overlap. Yeah, they easily can. Anyway, so now that we've resolved it. So that's what's coming down the pipeline. A little something for the girls, a little something for the gays, a little something for the goths. Okay. <laughs> and if you're
0: all three of those, please write to us and thank us yeah, for keeping you in mind. Yeah. You're
1: our key yeah, demographic. you are about to have a wonderful couple of months listening to this
0: <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, um... I was thinking nobody has patted me on the back for the hilarious sound effects I did in the last episode. Pat on the jack. A pat on the jack. Remember?
2: Wait, are you talking about the robot?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so... I was cracking myself up. Oh, I
2: thought I said something about that. Oh, I thought it was the British man. Remember? I didn't realize it was a robot.
0: Yeah. Theo thought it was actually Jacob as well, which is crazy. But well, we talked... But we did talk about this two days ago. But no one said, hey, Jackie... Pat on the jack. That I was think so we, funny. I'm pretty
1: sure we did. Okay, we didn't <laughs> phrase it exactly like that, but we definitely were like, oh, good job. I thought everybody
0: was just confused about it because Theo was like, what was that? Becca was like, what was that?
1: <laughs>
2: well, I thought I knew what it was. I thought I knew who it was, but I was just wrong. But I
0: wasn't confused. I think it's funnier that it's not him. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then what about the Russian one? Did you think that was Jacob too? Wait, I don't remember the Russian one. This is what I'm talking about. I don't get no respect. <laughs> I remember it. What did the Russian one say? He said, on behalf of my countrymen, I apologize or something like that. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't. I guess I I
0: don't know. You're just like, Jackie's just doing some weird (laughs) shit. Yeah. Or or Jacob is, whoever, someone. I also told my dad because he was like, oh, I can't wait for the episode. And I was like, I put something in there that's so funny. Like, you'll know it when you hear it. And then he never said anything about it. I was like, everyone hates my robot.
2: (laughs) I didn't hate the robot. I just, I'm so sorry. I guess I just didn't love it as much as you did.
1: But I liked it.
0: I'm going to use that a lot, by the way. I can't believe I got so many little clips from it for free. Yeah, why are we
1: paying Jacob when we can just get a British robot?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It spoke, honestly. I can see why some people thought it was real because it is kind of convincing. Like, it sounds like it could be a person pretending to be a robot. That's what I
2: thought it was.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, why don't we go ahead and get into the rest of this book? Y'all good? Might as well. Okay. Okay. So it goes. So it <laughs> no, goes. No, one's, no, 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 no one's dying. <laughs> Not yet. Rachel, do you want to catch us up on where we were at the end of the last episode? So at the end of the last episode,
1: our main guy, Billy Pilgrim, was hanging out with the aliens who had kidnapped him and he had just said something really stupid. I didn't think it was stupid but the
0: aliens (laughs) well the aliens thought so (laughs) that's proof that you're from earth
2: or proof (laughs) that the aliens don't know what they're talking about maybe yeah they have no idea what they're talking (laughs) about
0: (laughs) yeah so what he says to them is hey how can we make it so that earth is as peaceful as your planet is because we have tons of war as you know and it looks like you guys don't have any war so what can we do and they cover their little eyeballs and he's like oh dang i said something dumb
1: because he's also like aren't you scared of humans is Isn't everyone in the universe afraid of us? Yeah.
0: (laughs) We could destroy everything. We destroy everything we touch. Like, help us not do that. And they say, well, the reason that's a stupid thing to say is because it's actually a Tralfamadorian who destroys the entire universe. And he's like, wait, what?
1: Yeah, we already know. Yeah, they were like,
0: (laughs) we already did that. And it's because, uh, you know, we were testing something and somebody pushed a button and oops, uh, the whole universe exploded. And Billy Pilgrim is like, what? Then why doesn't he just not press the button? Like, why don't you just stop it from happening? And they say, we've always pressed the button. We always will press the button. We always are pressing the button. That's how the moment is structured.
2: See, that's why they're
1: dumb. <laughs> yeah, they need to get over themselves. I know, that's why they're dumb.
2: And You also, just can't see
0: in their dimension, Becca. You don't have the perception. They can't see in my dimension.
1: <laughs> well, I have an
2: opinion about them. I feel like they're, maybe this is a crazy take, but I'm going to say it anyway, they're a little bit ableist. Because I feel like if I was hanging out with a blind guy, like, yeah, I can see a bunch of things that he can't see. But if he asks, like, hey, Mm -hmm. what's in the corner of that room over there where I've never been? I'm like, well, you wouldn't get it because you don't have working eyes, you know? So Yeah, that was
1: really stupid for you to say that. All of us who can see
2: know what's over there, but you don't because you're just stupid. And it's like... He doesn't have all the senses that you have, like use a little bit of empathy. Yeah, they are ableist.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't like heave a heavy sigh and go, oh,
2: why uh, do you always
0: ask these things? You're exhausted. I can't believe you asked oh, me this. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, like if, if we were watching a show and maybe there wasn't dialogue and he was like, hey, do you mind just telling me what was going on in the play or whatever? And I'm like, "Ugh, no one ever asks that because everyone else can see <laughs> this again, <laughs> like jerk, you know? <laughs>
1: that's so funny yeah
2: they've got problems yeah i don't know it seems like they see another dimension we can't see it it's almost like being blind or being deaf and they're just like acting like we're stupid because we don't and it's i think it's kind of rude it is rude
0: well they always were rude they are being rude and they always will be rude and they always were did i say that already And they don't have
2: any intention of Mm -hmm. stopping
0: right? (laughs) They they can't. That's how the moment is structured.
2: They definitely could. Yeah. They just think they can. They're in the prison of their own minds. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, so they tell him, yeah, and also, like, our planet isn't always peaceful. We've had wars too, but the difference is we know that because we can look at any part of our lives and any part of time at all that's ever happened, we know to just focus on the nice parts, right? Like, we can go wherever we want. We can see whatever we want. So why would we see the bad parts? They should just not do the bad. They can't not do the bad parts. Rather than doing them anyway, but not seeing They've already done them. You can't undo something you've already done. I can. How? It's
2: pretty easy. Did anyone ever write... A fan fiction of a Trafalmagorian, Trafalm, whatever, like one Trafalmagorian that wants to go against the grain. Yeah,
0: Kurt Vonnegut continued to write fan fictions of. Okay.
2: Where like one is like, I'm going to do it differently. Like I'm destined to destroy the world, but I don't want to. So I'm not going
1: to push the button. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was
0: the plot of his 1972 book, I'm Built Different. Um, really? Wait. No, I'm sorry. I got that dog in me. That's what it's called. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he. I I haven't read all his books, but as far as I know, I don't know of one where where an alien goes against the grain. They do feature heavily in... Even
2: just a <laughs> fan fiction, though. Doesn't have to be him. There's probably one of those. Well, they do
0: feature heavily in my favorite Kerr book, which I already mentioned several times, The Sirens of Titans. So... Um, I'd love to talk about that one day, but, yeah, they they play a pretty big role in that. Probably bigger than they do in this one, actually. Whoa. Whoa.
1: They're not the stars of okay. this one, I would say.
0: No, I don't think they are the stars. No, I wouldn't
1: say that either. Yeah. Um, I would say Billy's the star. <laughs> and he's about to do something – okay – I texted Jackie earlier today and I said the second half of this book is significantly more sexist than the first half. Yes. And it's ableist too. And we're about to get to that. <laughs> yeah, but the aliens are the ones being ableist. I think the narrator is really sexist.
0: Well, don't and worry, there's some racism towards the end as well. Oh, thank yeah. goodness. We
1: got to cover all the
2: bases.
0: We hit the trifecta. Is there any homophobia,
2: mm-hmm. Jackie? Um, well, <laughs> Do we, have any we of that? did
0: decide in the last episode that you can't have babies without gay men, but you can have them without gay women. So, so just sexist then maybe. Yeah, but and he didn't say anything <laughs> about goths. Like he didn't say anything about if you need goths to make babies. <laughs> <Rude>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are some parts of this that are sexist, where I kind of interpreted him as just describing the sexism that exists in other people. But sometimes he says stuff that's like really kind of messed up. So also the
1: way Vonnegut writes the women is bad. Yeah, pretty much all the women. Like very shallow. Yeah. What happens is after Billy's with the aliens, he goes back to his wedding night with his wife, and they're, like, about to do it. And the narrator, it goes into Billy—he goes into Billy's mind and the wife Valencia's mind. Billy's like, oh, I'm getting all these benefits for marrying a woman who nobody in their right mind would ever marry. Why? And it's just because she's fat. She's fat. That's oh, it. She's yeah. a lovely so person. fat phobia, too. Yeah. Yeah. She also, to herself, she, like, cries and she's like, oh, I never thought anyone would want to be with me. Yeah. And she's like, thank you so much for marrying me because I'm fat, basically. Oh. And she says,
0: like, I'm going to lose weight for you. I'm going to look good for you. I'm going to get better. And he's like, I you don't have to do that for me. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah. And it says it's because he's already seen their whole marriage and he knows it's, like, basically fine. So he's like, yeah, don't bother. <laughs>
1: it's, he says, like, it's pretty much tolerable the whole time. Yeah. What a romantic guy.
0: Oh. Well, poor Valencia. What a catch. That's part of the thing is just with this character in general, he's so listless and just devoid of energy or motivation or drive like 99% of the time that I almost can't blame him for having a lot of the characters be pretty flat. But a lot of the male characters are not flat at all. So I'm not sure why it is that way for women. Right. Yeah. But
1: also, like, the narrator's the one who's, like, nobody in their right mind would marry her. But, like, everyone has to know, even if your own personal preference, like, you're not attracted to fat people, a lot of people are. (laughs) So, like, what are you talking about? And a lot of people also don't care. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I've never never seen a fat person get married, have kids, or find love. (laughs) So yeah, in America it never happens. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're being sarcastic. It happens every day.
0: We've also already talked about the wonderful dynamic so many of us share which is um what did what did we say? S- slim boy, r- round girl. <laughs> Maybe. Like Darius isn't a slim boy. Not as not like Joshua and Stephen. Oh
1: yeah, they're like. No, he's definitely not slim like Stephen. No, very few are, but <laughs> Joshua is even slimmer
0: than Stephen. <laughs> what? That's crazy. When he was in
1: Singapore one time, he was like, "It was so hot, so I had four grapes for dinner." <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I said, "What did you have for dinner?" And he said, "Grapes." And I said, "Is that a restaurant?" And he said, "No, I had grapes." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> Joshua is." He's nine inches taller than me, and he weighs 10 pounds more. <laughs> mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can pick him up. I can swing him around like a little baby man. I would
2: like to see Joshua now, because I can't imagine looking thinner than Stephen. <laughs> it also might be that Joshua wears
0: suits a lot. Yeah, he just wears suits. He doesn't wear anything, like, really form-fitting. I don't know. He doesn't look... Too skinny to me, but I don't know. You know, I like a skinny boy. I bet he would to me. Cause <laughs> yeah. I just am picturing
2: Steven and I just can't imagine anything <laughs> come off and you still have a whole person, you
0: know? Anything could come off.
2: <laughs> You're thinner than Steven. No, I think BMI wise, I'm sure my BMI is higher than his. Like, I weigh less than him because I'm shorter than him,
0: more normal than him. Yeah. Like, and women's like body fat percentages are always going to be like crazy higher than men. So don't compare yourself to the male bodied persons in your life. To our
1: Frighteningly thin boyfriends.
2: I'm not, it's not making me feel bad about myself. I'm just so surprised that there could be a thinner specimen than Steven. That's all.
0: I will say that if he weighed maybe like 10 to 20 pounds more than he did, I would probably not be anxious about my own weight as much. Like, I'm not that anxious about it because it's fine, but I'm also like, I don't like that I almost weigh as much as you and I'm so much shorter. <laughs>
1: You wouldn't have to worry about it with Darius.
0: I wouldn't have to worry about it with most men, to be honest. (laughs) That's
1: true. (laughs) Anyway, back to business. I don't think her Vonnegut would have married us anyway. Yeah. He would have been like, uh, they're disgustingly plump. (laughs) (laughs) he would have married steven though yeah yeah
0: i don't know um because he doesn't ever say how much valencia weighs or anything because i'm sure he has no idea right like okay so this is the other thing about men like i had a male friend who said something like oh like i don't know my girlfriend's so tiny she probably couldn't do that she only weighs 100 pounds like and all my female friends had all met her and we were like She doesn't weigh 100 pounds. Like, she's a thin girl, but she looks just like the rest of us, and she's as tall as the rest of us. And we were just like, you don't know how much weight looks like, do you? Like, you think anybody (laughs) small is, like, 100 pounds. No,
2: that's not how this works. It goes from 100 to 180.
0: Yeah. You're either 100 pounds or you're 180. Like, oh, my gosh, she was huge. She was, like, 200 pounds. And it's like, that's not huge.
1: (laughs) But also I've seen something where men will be like, oh, yeah, if a woman's 150 pounds, that must mean she's, oh, she's really fat. And then they show images of women at various heights – who mm-hmm. weigh that much and it's like you have no idea what any amount no idea. of weight is but I remember in high school which was a terrible time to be a woman when people were like oh I want to weigh a hundred pounds early 2000s yeah and it yeah. was like
0: don't do that and I was lucky because I did <laughs> but I was like way under <laughs> weight and like malnourished and quite um, short I'm just kidding I wasn't malnourished
1: yeah. but like Becca is very thin, and she's not even close to 100 pounds. No, if I I'd,
2: I would not live if I weighed 100 yeah.
1: pounds, I think.
0: That's the thing. A lot of men would look at any thin woman and just be like, yeah, that's about 100. Or like yeah. the same thing they'll do with um like, oh, double Ds? Like, that's huge. And it's like, <laughs> no, it depends on the frame of the woman I and her was,
1: band size. Wait, I was going to say, my friend in law school, she's a very like my my former law school roommate she's a very small very slender woman and her husband one time was talking to me and he was like oh yeah my wife has huge boobs and I was like pardon and he's like yeah her like what
0: why was he telling you he's German
1: by the way and he was like yeah she has
0: oh that explains she has a
1: c cup and I was like blink 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 first of all (laughs) the distance around her rib cage is it's like 27 inches and i'm like you don't understand like the letter is like how much boob there is but like the letter changes based on the band size so, like, a 27C would be, like, a 32AA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but he just, like, she she's very beautiful, but she's very, like, willowy. And it's very like, petite. you know yeah. she doesn't have huge boobs. What are
0: you talking about just because of the letter? <laughs> I don't know. That's so funny. I mean, obviously, we're not going to put this in the podcast. But remember, like, back in early college, people were, you know, like, everybody was like, oh, Jackie and her huge, enormous boobs. I think I had a C-cut at the
1: time. (laughs) Just bleep out the letters that you said about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Yeah, (laughs) Time to be a perv about it. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: Everybody's boobs are bigger than you think they are, but not that way.
1: They're all great. Everyone's fine with whatever boob size they have. Right, guys? Even if
0: it's none. Yeah. Totally fine.
1: No, it's fine. My thing is, so for
2: all we know, Valencia, especially because I feel like women were smaller in
1: the 50s. Yeah, this
0: would have been like the early 60s. I feel like there would have been even more. Fat
1: phobia. She could have weighed like 170 or something and he's like, (laughs) no one would marry her she could
2: have been like very average
1: sized for us yeah like I feel like she could have been a very
2: average sized woman and he'd be like she's yeah. so fat I'm like, this is the most normal looking woman I've ever seen
0: you yeah know? I think that's where I was going with it that I forgot to say is like he doesn't say how much she weighs he just describes her as quote big as a house and I'm like that doesn't help yeah what kind of nasty ass little small house also no one's as big as a house yeah. <laughs> Like a dollhouse? Like a (laughs) birdhouse?
1: He also talks about her like always like stuffing her face with candy. I'm just, I've got a problem with Vonnegut. I'm I'm very feel very mixed about him, but okay. Did you
0: feel that way before you read the second half of the book?
1: Um, there were some women issues, but I was like, it's not bothering me that much. But then in the second half of the book, the the women issues just piled up
0: and piled up. Yeah, well, because the first half of the book basically has no women. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> well, men, men, <laughs> men. Um, okay, so that happens. Long tangent, but basically, um, they have sex she's like oh my god that was so great I kind of doubt it was great because I kind of doubt he was like paying time. attention <laughs> <laughs> or paying attention or even on that planet at the time he was doing it
1: oh, so no. she's but well,
0: she's so sweet and she really loves him and she's like tell me some war stories and he's like I need to go to the bathroom well he he tells he tells her some war stories I mean he doesn't really like t- let her in on his soul or his memories or anything he just kind of like answers the questions he was like well this was Edgar Derby he was a teacher and he got shot because he took a teapot that wasn't his and I saw it happen and she was like you saw other things happen right like you saw people get killed and he was like yeah I saw people get killed so he gets up and goes to the bathroom and so much of this I will say feels really cinematic and I have not seen the movie I kind of want to watch it now but I also kind of don't because I'm afraid it won't live up but so he gets up he goes to the bathroom he's looking for the light switch in the dark he flips it on bam he's back in Germany in 1945 he's Not just in his own bathroom, he's sorry. Can we pause for like two seconds? (laughs) What? My coworker um, and one of my good friends is texting us about the sex of her baby that she's about to tell us. Tell her she needs to wait till you're done recording.
2: (laughs) I will say this, though. It's crazy that back in the day, people got married and they didn't really know each other. You know, that you could do that. Yeah. Be like, you haven't really connected on any deep level and you're married already. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's a boy. Meh. Woo. Sorry. (laughs) Womp womp, sorry. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut
2: would love that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He'd write a book about that, baby. All right. Yeah, so he goes into his bathroom and he travels back in time to the, the war hospital where he was put because he, like, had a mental breakdown while watching Cinderella. And he gets up to go to the bathroom in the camp. And there's this, like, super gross scene where it's, like, all the Americans who had gotten there and were, like, fed this amazing meal by the Englishmen. They were not used to having food, so now they're all super sick and they're all having diarrhea all over the place. and the narrator is one of them yeah the narrator not billy the narrator is kurt vonnegut
1: sort of and he's like pooping at the time he also had diarrhea yeah because he
0: says oh billy saw this guy who was saying he had shit out everything but his brains and then the guy said there they go there they go meaning like he had just now shit out his brains and then he says that was i that was me that was the author of this book
1: That's what I was up to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So he's a little cameo in his own novel. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then that happens and he goes out of the bathroom. And I just like this because of, like, the setup. So he leaves that bathroom and he's back in his bedroom with Valencia. Like, he just goes into a different room and it's a whole other time and place. So now he's back with Valencia. He goes to sleep. Um, He's back in the hospital again in 1945. And... Little guy named Paul Lazaro, who I think we talked about in the last episode, because he had promised Roland Weary that he would kill the dumb bastard who caused Roland to die.
2: Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Why would you promise that?
1: (laughs) He's a weirdo. He's
0: described multiple times as rabid. He's just, like, full of constant anger for no reason. He probably
1: just wanted an excuse to go on a murder quest, you
0: know? Yeah, he he seems like he's just a psychopath.
1: Too bad he couldn't murder any Nazis. I know.
2: Make
0: himself useful.
2: That was the whole thing. That would have been a useful murder at the time. I don't know. Even now. And honestly, now. <laughs> Yeah, since they're back. Yeah. Ugh,
0: they've always been back. So Paul, um, he's brought in because he has a broken arm because he tried to steal cigarettes from an Englishman who was sleeping and Paul's just like this little tiny guy who's just a piece of shit and the Englishman broke his arm.
1: Oh, they also, there's another cameo from a character from another book. So he has a book called Mother Night about this American guy who's like a
0: Nazi. But yeah, so at this point, the German officers do start reading aloud from the writings of Howard W. Campbell Jr. And I looked this guy up because I thought he might be real, like how Rachel said the, guy on the the bumper sticker on Billy's car was real. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah, that guy that guy was real. This guy's not real.
0: No, but so he is the first person narrator of Mother Night, which is a different book. It was before it was released before Slaughterhouse 5 and he's like an American who became a Nazi. So the question that I have is that his writings make sense to me from a class perspective. He doesn't say anything in these writings about race or nazism right like he he says things about how like well the problem with america is that americans have this like innate disdain for the poor like the rich hate the poor and the poor hate the poor and nobody has any willingness to like help change this and that's why they don't have any dignity when they're taken prisoner by the germans so it's like okay you went too far with that last one but it's like that's true (laughs) We we do hate poverty. Poor people hate themselves for being poor.
1: Well, that's that's the whole you can overcome class barriers if you designate another group as an outsider. So then but what that does is it makes poor people ignore the fact that
0: the rich are keeping them poor. Right. But I think that's what he's saying, because he also says, like, the biggest myth that Americans believe is that you can easily transcend class and you can't. I
1: know but the problem is that he wants them to blame the Jews.
0: <laughs> like Yeah, but he doesn't actually say that in in the paragraph. The American
1: that he reads Nazi, from. that one? Right.
0: Yeah. The American okay. Nazi. I was just like where does he connect this? The character was based on a
1: real guy, but it wasn't an American guy, it was a British guy. And he was mm-hmm. like a member of the aristocracy who joined the Nazis and like did broadcasts for them like to hurt British morale to be like oh the Nazis are awesome and
0: they're gonna win. Was a character in The Remains of the Day based on him? I don't know if that character
1: was based on him but there were like many wallace simpson for example like there were many upper class british people who were like nazi sympathizers but this particular guy was called they called him lord ha ha and he ended up getting killed for treason after world war ii so it goes
0: so <laughs> Thank you, <Becca>. it goes <laughs> so anyway yeah so there's all that stuff and I was just like "Eh." so that's happening and he time travels back again he's in 1968 he's an adult his daughter is scolding him you know the one who's always like "Eh, dad what are we gonna do with you you're embarrassing everybody his heat is broken and she's like it's freezing in here and there's this kind of little funny exchange they have she's like she's 21 years old too he specifies and she's like totally bossing her dad around and she's like you know what if you're gonna act like a child then I guess we'll just have to treat you like one and he responds that isn't what happens next and she says (laughs) we'll see what happens next he's just so matter of fact like he never gets angry he never really defends himself he's just like well that's not what happens
1: he sounds like a freaking nightmare like a terrible dad and a terrible husband and a terrible friend he's super traumatized. He's a shell of a person. Well, he was bad even as soon as he became unstuck in time. It seems like it ruined him. Yeah, I know. I know like, if it's a metaphor for PTSD, yes, I get it. Then in that case, it's the trauma. But in this book, it's the traveling through time. (laughs) Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, the traveling through time could easily just be like PTSD flashbacks.
2: Mm. Yeah. Have you guys seen Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yeah. Probably not Jackie. No. But basically... It reminds me kind of the theme is similar to this book because I feel like the whole thing is like if you have to know everything and experience everything all at once, then you don't really care about anything anymore. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. nothing feels real. Like the present doesn't feel real anymore because you're experiencing so many things at once. You don't care. Yeah, Yeah. that
0: makes sense to me. Like for someone who literally believes what he believes like who knows if it's true or not but I don't think I would be much different I would be like spaced out all the time like uh, I don't know where I'm gonna be next like (laughs) you can't control it or it sounds like he can't control it right
1: Yeah. At least that's how he feels.
0: Yeah. It says he's seen his own death and his own birth many times. He knows exactly how everything's going to go and he knows he can't change it. So he's just like, whatever, I'm just stuck in this little rubber band.
1: We don't see him ever try to change it, though. We just see him being like, well, I know I can't.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could possibly go about trying to change it. Just
1: literally do one thing different that you know like, you knew what you were going to do. Just do a different thing. There's a thing. particular thing he really could do differently, <laughs> which we'll get to when it happens. You're about to really not like him, Becca, right. because he travels to Tralfamador, And what happens is they're like, here, we're going to give you a woman. And she's like an adult film actress named Montana Wildhack, And she is 20 years old. Ooh, how old is he at the time? 44, 45. I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, on Earth he is, but I don't know how... But he
1: traveled when he was 44, so...
0: Yeah, that's true. So she's less than half his age, and the reason they bring her in is because they want to make them mate, basically. They're like, oh, this will be entertaining for all the aliens who are looking at them in the zoo. So they put her in there and they're just like, all right, do something. And then this is, they were keeping him naked the whole time. They put her in naked and there's just this little throwaway line where it's like, coincidentally, he happened to have an enormous dick. You never know who will get one. <laughs> I just find that so funny. You never know who will get one. Like they're passed out or you something. Never know.
1: Yeah, it's totally random. So yeah. he's very nice to her at first. And then it talks about like, oh, you know, he was a perfect gentleman. Like he didn't even have sex with her until she said, oh, you want to have sex? And then he was like, yeah. And then it talks about like, oh, it was so awesome hooking up with this 20 year old. But also it says earlier in the book, the only time he ever cheated on his wife was at that party. Not true. Yeah, this counts He had a too. whole other family. Mm,
2: <laughs> That's he true. He had a- he had kids with this girl.
0: He's going to, yeah. She ends
2: up having at least
1: one, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. What a nightmare of a man. So he's a deadbeat to boot. So why did the narrator say that's the only time he cheated on his wife? It still counts if you're on an alien planet and you can't even say the excuse of like, well, he didn't know how long you'd be there because he did. Yeah, he did know how long. I did. mean, he traveled
0: millions of light years away, so I presume his wife is long dead, and so is everyone else on Earth at that point. Not no. to him, no,
1: because, because he knew I- he was going to go back. Yeah, that's like- yeah,
0: but I don't know. I don't know. I'm not making excuses for him. Yeah,
2: making loopholes, no. Mm-hmm. Especially because it's like he knows he's probably going to zoom right
1: back and like another yeah five minutes or whatever well he for him i think he said he was on the planet
0: for like four years or something right it's a week between when they bring her in and when they have sex for the first time and it's like yeah he he doesn't touch her at all unless she wants him to and i'm like yeah that's the that's the bar that that bar's on the floor
1: she's a she's a traumatized 20 year old woman so like yeah leave her alone you're married (laughs) also like leave her alone
0: i mean i get it if you're like trapped in prison on an alien planet and that's the only human you have to talk to. You're probably going to end up talking to them. You
2: don't have to have sex with them, though. Sometimes yeah. you might want to. I talk to people every day
1: without
0: having sex with them. Well, if you're trapped alone with them, do you think, what? Do you
1: think Becca and I are blaming her in any way at all? Or do you think we're blaming the married man who's in his mid-40s? I'm
2: blaming the married man. I'm not blaming the 20-year-old, the baby female he's trapped
1: with. <laughs> of course, especially because she doesn't know how long she's going to be on the planet. What I'm saying is he's a married man in his mid-40s, and he's... He knows he's only going to be there for a few years and that he has a wife that he'll be returning to. But instead, he's like— But he'll be
0: returning to her and back and forth and back and forth forever. Only in his
1: brain. So is he going to cheat on her forever then? Yeah. So that makes it worse, Jackie. That doesn't make it better. (laughs) Yeah, it makes it worse.
0: (laughs) I'm telling you, in the world of the book, as Becca said, when you've seen everything and everything is constantly happening all the time and you can't change any of it, you've already done it, why would you care about anything? I'm
2: saying that
1: doesn't make it not cheating, though. It's still cheating. The narrator—I'm saying the narrator lied. (laughs) The narrator isn't— stuck in time the narrator didn't have to say it's the only time he cheated on his wife
0: yeah that's true the narrator was incorrect in that but also i feel like if i was taken millions of years away and put in a dome i'd probably be like all right
2: <laughs> you would cheat on joshua immediately you're
0: i don't think i would consider it cheating because it'd be like i'm i'm billions of years away on a different planet even like, if you knew you
1: would see him again in a couple years yeah i think he'd forgive me i think he i think he would forgive I me i wouldn't it, forgive you but you don't have to do it at all. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to do it unless you want to. Also, the aliens are watching you. Whatever. <laughs> it's weird. It's so weird. Not whatever. You've got problems. <laughs> so
2: they don't watch you all I the don't time. Know. If I was the if I was taken captive and I knew that I wasn't going to live there the rest of my life, I knew that I would get to go home soon. I wouldn't cheat on my boyfriend. Yeah. And also, if I found out he cheated on me in the same scenario, I would break up with him. Oh, yeah. I would
0: not be upset like, at I'd all. I'd be like,
2: I don't care how far away I am. Like, it counts. Yeah. If, you,
0: if, <laughs> if somebody was kidnapped and taken away for, like, four years and trapped in a geodesic dome with another person and no other soul on Earth and they slept with each other, I'd be like, yeah. That makes sense.
1: I think the Trellfamadorians have souls, and they he talks to yeah. them. Yeah, it's so true. it's not like he didn't have any other. But they're constantly being
0: like, "Oh, you dumb idiot! You can't see anything." So, <laughs> like, they he wants
1: someone to understand him. You don't have to have sex to understand someone. Yeah, Jackie. Though. They can just be friends. Oh, if my God. Stephen was trapped on an alien planet and he didn't know if he was coming back, and he only cheated on me after a couple years. Then I would be like, okay, I get it. You had no idea. But if he was like, I went to this alien planet. I knew I would see you again in three years, but I immediately hooked up with a 20-year-old after a week of knowing her. I would be like, okay, bye. That's the end of our wonderful engagement. Yeah. I guess we're just different. That's okay, though.
2: Yeah. Maybe you're not cut out for monogamy, Jackie. Like,
0: Joshua went to Singapore for three years, and yeah. that's different because there were lots of other people around, and we could still talk to each other. But again, I think if you're trapped with someone, and it's <laughs> You a long have time, weird rules. <laughs> I, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm wrong. Like, there's no, lots of people wh- who would agree with you me. You have a
1: lot of extra stipulations where you're like, if you go here for a certain number of years, you, the... It's not cheating depending on the smaller number of people, and if the aliens make fun of you, then it's not cheating. It's
0: it's zero people. It is zero human beings with whom to connect. Sometimes people like to connect with their bodies. It's not that weird.
2: It's not that it's weird. It's just that you're not cut out for monogamy if you can't keep it in your pants for a couple years when you know you'll be free soon.
0: (laughs) I don't know how it feels to experience that. I'm just going to say, you know what?
1: Jackie. It's just making his case it's making the case even worse actually. Like this is the worst case for impossible.
0: I don't know. Anyway, I don't I don't see that as nearly the biggest problem with him, but Well, we'll see what his other problems are. I think his fat phobia is disgusting. Yeah, he doesn't even like his wife. Like he should have married her in the first place. And this
1: is part of that. Is him being like, "Ugh, my wife who I agreed to marry like repulses me, but now I can hook up with a 20-year-old porn star.
0: Woohoo." He
1: probably asked to marry
2: her. He probably proposed to her yeah. if it was the 40s or whenever it was. And he
1: did it for money. Mm-hmm. Gold digger. Yeah. He's not a perfect character. Definitely not. It's true. <laughs>
0: What happens after this?
1: He has a wet dream in the future about his child bride. This porn star lady. Yeah. And then he's doing an eye exam on a boy whose dad was killed in Vietnam. And he tries to tell the boy, like, hey, don't worry that your dad was killed. Like, he's always going to be alive <laughs> in the past. He's He's alive.
0: And all these other times. And the boy's mom, who had been like sitting in and watching the exam, like quietly gets up and goes to the front desk and is like, this motherfucker's crazy. And he's telling yeah. my kids stupid shit about his dad still being alive. So he gets sent home for being crazy. His daughter picks him up. Yeah. And she's like,
1: dad, you're you a nut. Yeah.
0: So what we're about to describe is going to be like rapid fire back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like, I'm going to try to hit the points that matter. But like, don't worry if it seems disjointed, because that's the whole point of this. Like, it's disjointed in time and space and everything everything. Mm-hmm. So this is where chapter 6 starts. He wakes up in the German prison again. This is so weird that I do want to mention it just because I don't quite understand it. But so he wakes up and he gets this like telepathic message which doesn't happen any other time in the book but he gets like this little feeling that's like i have to go to that tiny weird coat the germans gave me and i have to look in the pockets so he goes in the pockets and he takes out two objects <laughs> he somehow knows in his head like okay these objects are going to be really important for me but only if you never try to find out what they are and he's like okay because he has no personality or thoughts yeah so he just puts them away and okay that happened he doesn't
2: look at them when he picks them up how could he not know what they
1: are? It's dark. Looking?
0: It's dark. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just just described as small lumps,
0: basically. But then later, I'll tell you now, like we don't have to go into it. But like later, he looks at them and they're actual objects. I don't know why they were like. Don't ever try to figure out what these are. Anyway, so he takes those. This is where Paul Lazaro is saying like, oh, I can have anybody killed. He tells this horrible, horrible, horrible oh, yeah. story yeah, about we he don't killed need to get a dog. Into it, but yeah. I don't want to get into it. I hate yeah, reading don't get that. Into it. Yeah, actually, after reading it, I had to, like, just stop and convince myself that, like, that didn't happen. That's never happened. No one's ever done anything that bad. I had to just be like, yeah, that's not real, even though I know it is. It was really bad. So... But he's like, yeah, and I can have you killed, too. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, 5, 15, or 20 years in the future, like, you'll think I'm not going to get you, but just trust me, I'm going to get you, Billy Pilgrim. Again, because he's seen his own death many times, he's like, yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah. So that's how he dies. Yeah. yeah. The guy gets
0: him when
1: they're, like, 80. <laughs> yeah. Wait,
0: is that true? <laughs> yeah. Not at, not at 80, but, yeah, like, 25 they're years old. in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, because he writes down exactly what's going to happen. And he says, Well, when I get shot and killed, um, what's happening is I'm giving a speech to a crowd about space ships and like time and how things are alive and dead all the time and I get shot in the head and, and it's this guy yeah it's this guy or someone who works for him so he's like yeah don't try to stop it like don't try to protect me like I'm just gonna come back it's not a big deal so it says he like experiences death for a little while which is just he's totally absent it's like no one's there even he's not there and it's just like violet light and like a gentle hum. So that happens for a while. And then he's, then back. he's alive again.
1: Yeah. It's funny because the people when he tells them, oh, yeah, this guy's about to kill me. They're all like, no. And he's like, wow, you
0: really didn't listen to a word I said, did you? Yeah. <laughs> we can't change it. It's always happened. So that's interesting that he knew that ahead of time. So then it's 1945. He He's back in like the nasty little hospital thing again. He goes back to the stage where they did Cinderella and there were these like army boots that they spray painted silver to be the magic slippers or whatever. So he takes those because he still has like no real shoes. Um, and he wraps himself up in this blue curtain that was on the stage. And he has his tiny, tiny little coat. So he's wearing, like, a blue toga and these silver boots, and he looks absolutely crazy. And this is all while, like, there's an Englishman who's giving them a speech about how they have to take pride in their appearance. It mm-hmm. it's, starts to feel a little like Confederacy of Dunces at a certain point. Mm. Do you think so, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. Yeah, just, like, ridiculous thing is happening alongside something that calls it out for being ridiculous. But so the Englishmen say, hey, you guys are leaving for Dresden today. Don't worry. It's so beautiful. It's safe. It'll never be bombed. You guys are so lucky. You're going to have a great time. Yeah. So, but when they roll up, the Germans see him wearing his like weird little tiny coat over his hands and his silver shoes. And they're just like, wow, Americans are not scary at all. They
1: have no dignity. Also, Kurt Vonnegut makes another appearance, which is when like he's also riding in the boxcar to Dresden. And then when the doors open, he says Oz because like before then, the only city he'd seen was Indianapolis. So, like, that's his only point of reference for a beautiful city. It looks like the
0: land of Oz to him. Yeah, he says again, that was I, that was me. Yeah,
1: that was me, by the way. Every time something embarrassing happens, he's like, yeah, that was me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so um, again, of course, he knows the future, so he knows the city is going to be bombed, but like, why say anything about it? So the only reason I mentioned this is because this is where the mystery objects come in. This german man who's a surgeon like comes up to him and is like what do you think you're doing like do you want to be mocked like do you think it's funny to dress like this do you think war is just a game yeah and he smiles and he pulls out the mystery objects and it's a diamond a huge diamond and a partial denture which is made out of like silver and pearl and that's it nothing happens after that they don't do anything for him the German, don't, wouldn't you think the German would take it away if you showed him a huge diamond and you're a prisoner of war? Yeah, but I guess he's like, eh. Yeah, nothing happens. I hmm. was like, what the hell? Why was this in here? That's the one thing I, <laughs> I really don't, don't understand. You,
1: What you need to do is post on the, the Kurt Vonnegut subreddit and be like, hey, I just recorded some podcast episodes about this and this is the one thing we couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the one thing. I totally understand cheating on his wife on another planet millions of years away, but I don't understand the diamond. Totally
1: get it. I would do the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Jackie would at least. (laughs) Okay, so the next chapter is he's on the plane with the optometrist and they're like, about to crash. Mm. I do
0: think he could have said something about this. Yeah, because he couldn't have stopped the bombing. Yeah,
1: also, when the guy is going to shoot him in the head, he didn't have to go to Chicago. He could have just not gone.
0: Well, Paul sa- Paul made it very clear he's going to get him somehow, no matter what. So, you know what? If Paul says he's going to get you, he's going to get you. But, like, he couldn't yeah. have stopped the bombing by himself. But... He could have stopped this plane from crashing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like all his buddies. How did the plane crash?
0: It drove into the side of a mountain. It drove. It flew into the side of a mountain.
1: So they're, they're like, having a great time with all the other optometrists. They have a barbershop quartet called the Four-Eyed Bastards, and they're, like, singing these kind of racist songs about Polish people. Polish people are white, though, aren't they? Why would you be racist against Polish people? Well, people...
0: Europeans, they're always going to find someone to be racist against. Um, The Polish have always been, I feel like even to this day, people still kind of think of Poles as just idiots. Like, there's a stereotype that they're stupid. Weird.
1: I don't know why, but I mean, they've got delicious food for sure.
0: Copernicus was Polish. If we didn't have Poles, we'd still think that the, the sun revolved around the earth. Isn't your grandpa Polish or something? My grandmother is Polish. Oh, she's probably great. Well, she's she died, but um, so it goes. So (laughs) she's
1: still alive in your heart forever,
0: in many times and in the
1: past, and in the past. (laughs) Yeah. So the Billy is like, well, the plane's gonna crash. I'm gonna blink myself into another experience. I don't want to deal with this. That that part
0: right there made me think. Oh, he did that on purpose. He can control it now, but he can't control it other times.
1: Hmm. I think he can, I think he can choose to travel, which it seems like, I feel like we have seen him choose to travel at other times as well, but he can, it seems like he can definitely choose to do it, but he can't always choose not to.
0: And I think he also can't control where or when he goes, because at this time, when the plane's about to crash, he doesn't like go back to having sex with his trial bride he goes back mm-hmm. to luxembourg in the forest with roland weary yeah. in 1945 oh no. <laughs> so that's like probably the worst time of his life anyway he goes there the plane crashes uh he's found and people i think it said everybody but him and like one other person died the co-pilot, the co-pilot. i
2: think but how could he stop the crash he can't fly a plane he could say plane. let's
0: not go on or he could say don't fly the plane into the mountain fly the plane a little higher
1: (laughs) he could have been so drunk and rowdy on the plane that they were forced to land a little earlier you know Mm. like there are things he could have done yeah he could have had a little
0: freak out then yeah that's true so he's In the hospital, he's unconscious for a couple days, but he time travels when he's unconscious. So he goes back to 1945 again. Him and Edgar Derby are working in the slaughterhouse, walking around, and they open a door and they accidentally stumble upon a room full of dun 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 30 naked teenage girls. Mm -hmm. They're
2: gorgeous.
0: Gorgeous.
2: I hate that. Where yeah. are their
0: clothes? They're showering. They were taking
1: a shower, yeah.
0: <laughs> in a slaughterhouse? They were refugees from, like, basically every other city except for Dresden in Germany has been bombed at this point. So this is the only major city left. So they've been taken there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. It's just, yep, a bunch of naked yeah. teenagers. Um, it's first time Billy Pilgrim mm-hmm. ever saw a naked girl. Sort of. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's no first time for him for anything. There's
1: also a little bit... Him and Edgar are with a very young German guard, and the three of them go to the prison kitchens, and the cook—like, there's not that much food there, but the cook basically says to the German guy, you're too young to go to war, and says to Edgar, you're too old to go to war, and then to Billy is just like— You're just right. You're bad at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're an idiot. And then the, the cook says, you know, ugh, all the real soldiers are dead, and they're like, yeah.
0: That's true. Yeah. (laughs) So he talks about like his job there is making the malt syrup for pregnant women, which is what Kurt Vonnegut's actual job was. And so, yeah, I was right. It's it's just like full of vitamins and minerals. And he at one point steals like a little spoonful of it. And it says he's been so malnourished for so long that he feels every cell in his body like burst into applause. (laughs) And he feeds some to Edgar Derby. And he bursts into tears.
1: They're always making like syrup lollipops and they always talk about like everyone who worked in the factory was constantly spooning up syrup. And that's how the narrator always describes it. Like spooning up syrup, spooning syrup. Yeah, spooning wasn't allowed. Spooning, spooning, spooning. All over the factory, literally everywhere, there are spoons hidden because, you know, people are like spooning up the syrup and then they think someone's coming in and they just hide the spoon. So just like everywhere (laughs) you look in this factory, you're going to find a spoon. And so he like is just constantly...
0: Eating syrup and like because it's basically the only source of nutrients they, they have, they make themselves sick. <laughs> Certain things in this book like hit me really hard. And the part where like the guy like burst into tears because he finally got to taste something with nutrients, I was just like, oh. He's pork. That's yeah, pretty cute.
1: That's the best part of the book, I would say, is the, the sp- best syrup part. spooning
0: part. <laughs> so, um, chapter eight this is where the actual Howard Campbell comes to visit them. He's like the made up, what am I trying to say? American Nazi propagandist. Yeah. yeah. So he tells all the Americans, "Hey, if you switch to Nazism, you're going to be repatriated in Switzerland after the war. You should probably go ahead and do it because, like, you're going to lose anyway. So you might as well switch to our side." So Edgar, the poor guy who's doomed to be shot later, goes up to him and he delivers this like scathing rebuke. It was just like, "All right, nothing happened."
1: But it's great. Like, it's a fine moment, it's the best moment of his life. And he's like, "America, we believe everyone's equal, and Nazis have a disgusting ideology, and it's pathetic, and you're going to lose, and Russians are." brothers and we're going to team up with them and stamp out the vile disease
0: of nazism yeah he's like nobody here would ever go to your side and i I guess he's right because no one did but yeah i mean
1: part of that is because an air raid siren goes off so everyone's like ah (laughs) and runs away
0: (laughs) i mean that's a pretty good cap on edgar's little speech like you're gonna lose and it's like well damn yeah yeah so at this time he travels back in Uh, forward in time and he's arguing with his daughter again and she's like, you know who I could just kill? And he's (laughs) like, who Barbara? Who could you kill? And she says, that damn Kilgore Trout. She hates that guy because she's like, ever since he had that plane crash and then started reading his books in the hospital, like this is where everything went wrong. He went crazy after that. And
1: also he's friends with Kilgore. Yeah.
0: So we actually get to meet Kilgore Trout at this point. I feel like... He's terrible. (laughs) Well, is he Kurt Vonnegut in the future? Like, did Kurt Vonnegut... I'm pretty sure he's making fun of himself in this character. I think
1: so, too he's like a grumpy who's Kilgore Trout he's a sci-fi writer a made-up
0: sci-fi writer in Kurt Vonnegut books he's
1: the one where in his books there are aliens that look exactly suspiciously like the (laughs) Tralfa and there's a lot of themes that kind of relate to what Billy thinks is happening with himself but Kilgore is old now and he's like never made any money from his writing he's super angry all the time yeah he doesn't even consider himself a writer Billy's like when they first meet he's like are you Kilgore Trout the writer and he's like there's a writer in Gilcor Trout
0: <laughs> cuz his actual job how he like survives is he like manages a little team of like preteens who deliver newspapers yeah, paper and boys. they're always like <laughs> yeah they're always sassing him and they're like I don't want to do this it doesn't pay well and he's like but if you don't do it I'm going to have to deliver your newspapers for you so he like tries to bully them into staying so he's almost yeah. I again reminds me a little bit of Ignatius from Confederacy of Dunces like with his little hot dog cart or something mm-hmm. The thing with Kilgore Trout books is, like, apparently his ideas are amazing, but he can't write worth a shit, (laughs) so...
1: Yeah, um, he's a really bad writer.
0: (laughs) So there's some examples of his books which are, um, he wrote one about a tree where, like, money grows as the leaves and then like the flowers are precious gems and so it's just like covered in like wealth all the time and it attracts humans who want to get the wealth but um, they all just end up killing each other around the roots and it makes really good fertilizer and the tree keeps growing Mm -hmm. so that's one book there's another one where there's, like, these soulless robots who look just like humans, but they have no conscience, and they basically just go around, like, dropping bombs on people. Mm-hmm. There's one—and they're generally accepted into society because they look just like people, even though they do horrible things. But mm-hmm. there's one robot who has really bad breath, and so nobody likes him. But once he clears up his bad breath, then they're like, okay, you can, you can be a human You're now. one of That's us funny. now. Yeah.
2: How does a robot
1: have bad breath? Do they <laughs> breathe? I guess in the book they do. Somehow
0: this one does. (laughs) But so
1: Billy invites Trout. He's like, oh, so he helps Kilgore Trout deliver some newspapers. And then he says, oh, I'm having my 18th wedding anniversary tonight. You should come to the party. And so he goes to the party, and the narrator makes sure to be like, oh, yeah, there's this, like, really young, hot wife. dumb And she's dumb so girl. hot and stupid. So dumb. And she, Kilgore Trout tells her, like, actually, it's against the law to publish a book where you made stuff up because it would be fraud and you would go to jail. And she's like, what? Really? And then he, like, spits caviar into her boobs on accident. <laughs> Ugh. And the narrator's like, any time a man saw her, he just wanted to fill her up with his baby. Fill her up with
0: babies. Ew. It's horrible. Yeah. And the the bad thing, too, is, like, I would have accepted this a little bit if it had just been, like, she was hot so everybody thought she was really stupid. But she actually is really stupid. So, like, why did you have to do her like that? Well, like, she's
2: a woman written by a man. Ugh. There's no justice for them. So this is, I think,
0: maybe the most important scene is <laughs> the fish one. going into the boobs no not the fish in the <laughs> boobs it's uh so this is their 18th wedding anniversary and there's a barbershop quartet there it's i think it's the same one that plays on the plane later right yeah, four-eyed bastards the febs yeah the febs billy and valencia are dancing to a song called that old gang of mine i guess i can read the lyrics but the lyrics aren't in the end what turns out to be the most important but this is what the lyrics are Gee, but I'd give the world to see that old gang of mine. So long forever, old fellows and gals. So long forever, old sweethearts and pals. God bless them. And Billy gets really upset. Like, he has no idea why he's even reacting this way, but he basically goes into, like, a panic. He, like, his face contorts. He looks like he's seen a ghost. His wife thinks he's having a heart attack, so they make him sit down. He's like, I don't know why I reacted like that. And... I loved this part of it. So he's just like, yeah, I'm okay. And it says, he had supposed for years that he had no secrets from himself. Here was proof that he had a great big secret somewhere inside. And he could not imagine what it was. I feel like this is the point at which we're like, oh, fuck. Like, there, we knew the whole time there was something wrong with this guy. Mm-hmm. He had no idea and no one else is acknowledging it. But now it's like... Okay, so he's noticing now, like, you're not okay, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, okay, I'm I'm fine, I guess. He gives his wife, like, a big ring he was planning to give her. They go back and they, they try to do more. Kilgore Trout is there and he's looking at him and he's like... I bet you saw something, right? And he's like, what? And he's like, you you saw the past or the future. Like, that's what you look like. And Billy's like, no, that's not what he I saw. He says, you looked through a time mm-hmm. window. And then he says later to him, you ever put a full-length mirror on the floor and have a dog stand on it? The dog's going to look down, and all of a sudden he's going to realize there's nothing under him. He thinks he's just standing on air, and he jumps a mile. And he says, that's how you looked. You looked like all of a sudden you realized you were standing on thin air.
2: I want to know who's playing those kind of pranks on dogs. Because
0: <laughs> yeah. that's not cool. Steven, probably, because he put a full-length mirror on my, on my ceiling. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Billy wasn't looking through a time window when that happened. He just was like, oh, shit. So then the Barbershop Quartet starts up again. And this time, it says it became clear that it wasn't about what they were singing. It was about just who they were and the fact that they were singing. So this song is like nothing at all about like old friends or gentlemen or pals or anything. He had thought maybe, oh, well, I never had any sweethearts. I never had any friends or pals or anything. Like all of my relationships have been totally basically ruined. Like I haven't had a life that I've actually been actively living. But so they sing this other song and he's he has the exact same reaction. He flees upstairs. There's this weird scene where like... He flees into the bathroom and just sits there in the dark. And then someone's like, Dad? And he turns on the light, and his son is sitting there on the toilet with a guitar. He's sitting
1: like he's on the toilet with his pants down in the dark and holding, he's holding an electric his guitar. guitar.
0: <laughs> electric guitar.
1: Why is he in the he dark? He gets it from his dad.
0: Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what's going on with that boy? And that's it. That's he just says hello son. He's a weirdo. So he now he thinks he goes and lays down in his bed and he thinks about like why did I have that reaction? And he goes back and he he doesn't time travel, he's just remembering it. And he thinks about the night that Dresden was bombed. He remembers being underground, hearing the bombs, like these horrible sounds. He knows everybody is being killed up there. He knows that, you know, the girls he saw in the shower, they're all being killed too. Like everybody he ever saw was being killed in that city except for like him and the couple guys he was down there with. And he remembers going out the next day and he sees four German guards and they're looking around at the destruction and their mouths are moving. But they're not making any the, sound. Yeah, their mouths are like, oh. They're just looking like totally aghast. Like they're just rolling their eyes around looking at things. And so it, they looked like a silent film of a barbershop quartet. So he has basically this flashback to like the barbershop quartet at his party. He's reminded of these four German guards and like the horror of the bombing. And
1: then he time travels back to Tralphimador and his pregnant child bride is there. She's like heavily pregnant She's Six I months guess. pregnant.
0: And she's like,
1: oh, Billy, tell tell me a story. And then he tells her about the bombing and, like, what it was like afterwards. And I'm like, you know, F you, Billy. Your wife has tried to get you to talk to her about your experiences a bunch of times and you
0: are just an asshole.
1: But then you're willing to talk to this girl.
0: I mean, when Valencia asked him to tell stories, he did also. And then same thing here. He's like, she's like, like. The stories that he told
1: Valencia, he would just, they were, like, totally flat and bland with, like, None of his interior thoughts. And then when Montana asked him to tell stories, he like goes into like how he felt.
0: And also he tells her that he is a time traveler and he never tells his wife. Well, just before one question, I was like, well, what do you think the significance is of this? flashback event happening at their 18th wedding anniversary party? Like, are we supposed to think like this is maybe partially because he's celebrating marriage to a woman who he hasn't had any connection with and it's maybe his fault?
1: It definitely (laughs) is. he's never
0: had. Yeah, that's Kurt Vonnegut setting that up on purpose, right?
2: Well, I also kind of feel like it seems that what, whenever anything really crazy is happening that he doesn't want to deal with, he just blinks himself to another time mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to deal with it.
0: Because that's what the Trophamidorians
2: tell you to do. Well, because yeah. he's always running away from his present. Ding, ding, ding. But then if he has to actually face his memories, then he has a breakdown. Because I feel like, I guess, visiting your memories is that real life version of like traveling to the past, you know? So it's like if he actually has to have his mind occupied. With something bad, then he freaks out because usually he just blinks away from it.
1: Weirdly, he would rather experience a bad thing than like remember a bad thing or analyze a bad thing. He's like, I would rather just go back to the bombing of Dresden than have to think about why I'm upset by it.
0: Well, and there's um, cases, well, There have been purported to be cases of people who could not forget anything. I don't know, Becca Mm -hmm. or Rachel, if you've heard of any of these. But yeah, so there are people who like claim to have photographic memories or whatever. And like some of those maybe are true. A lot of them may not be. They may just be like people who like obsessively remember dates and don't even realize it or something. But there are people who seem to have literally no ability to forget autobiographical memories, which Mm -hmm. turns out that's a problem because – you really don't want to remember literally everything that ever happened to you because you still feel all of those things very strongly when you literally haven't forgotten a single thing. Mm-hmm. And there's this woman um, I read about who, like, she, she's, like, tormented all the time because, like, every time she thinks about, like, someone she knows who died or, like, something bad that happened to her or a breakup, like, she feels it all, like, just as intensely as if it just happened, which I feel like is kind of where Billy Pilgrim is. Right? like except
2: for he doesn't feel yeah. anything yeah
0: well but like he lit- no but he literally goes back to the time though like he's he's right there back in it he's not just like remembering it
1: mm-hmm. i've had an idea for a science fiction book that i've wanted to do for a while and i've been thinking about it which is that so part of the problem if you live forever is also like the human memory can't Remember everything?
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say everyone you know dies, and I was like, yeah, Bicentennial Man, heartbreaker. Oh, that's,
1: that's part of it. Jackie really loves that movie, so that's it. we should we should probably read the books on the podcast, like read yeah, the Bicentennial Man—is it story or book? I don't know. Anyway, so my idea was like, people in the future have like an extended lifespan, and we kind of figure out a way to offload our memories. So people kind of can take out part of their memory and then if they want to access it, they can go see what mm-hmm. was in their memory. But then in An my story, drive. the main character would be some kind of detective and someone has figured out how to like fuck with people's memories. But the problem is you don't remember them. You just can like access them. So you don't know. If it's actually your memory or not anymore because somebody's been missing That sounds like
0: it. a more confusing book than this, which means it would probably be really interesting.
1: <laughs> I think that's less confusing. <laughs> Should we bleep out my plot so no one t- – no. They can try to take it if they want, but I've copied yeah, it. right? Take it, it if you no. want. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) Anyway. um, This
0: happens. Everything's bombed. Um, He realizes, like, oh, that's why I had that bad reaction, which is, you know, nice. He actually sat down and thought about something for once instead of just escaping. I mean, he escaped mm -hmm. the party, but this is the part where, like, yeah, autobiographical. The Air Force comes over and bombs again, so a bunch of prisoners of war die. And they walk and walk and walk and walk, and they finally get to, like, this inn that is somehow not been destroyed. It's, like, on the edges of the city limits. And the people who run the inn is like this German family. They know that the city has been bombed, but they like, you know, still open their inn. They turn the lights on. They get everything ready. They're like, OK, there might be people coming, like escaping Dresden. Like we should be ready for them. And all that shows up is those four guards and then a 100 Americans. And they're like, hey, are there any more people coming? And they're like, no, there's no one else alive.
1: One, one other thing about this chapter. Oh, but the, the innkeeper is like they're like still pretty nice to the Americans. But the one other thing I wanted to say about the chapter was that when Billy, Sees his son in the nude with the guitar, (laughs) he thinks to himself, I like my son, but I barely know him at all. But here's the thing I actually know, for example, Becca very well. But if I went into a dark bathroom and then it turns out she had been (laughs) sitting there on the toilet in the nude with an electric guitar with the lights off, I would also think, I barely Maybe know I her, her at all. Her. Well, now I know what I got to do.
0: You know, it'd be a lot less weird if it was an acoustic guitar.
1: Why does he have an electric guitar? It's
0: not plugged into anything.
1: But but so basically I'm like, Billy, I I got to tell you, it's not because of the time traveling that you he felt that. It's because of how weird the thing your son did is.
0: Yeah, he thinks to himself like, I'm not like that guy at all. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's true.
1: <laughs> Did they ever
2: go into him in the slaughterhouse or not well, really? Because doesn't he hide in the slaughterhouse? Do we not actually? So he—that's that already
0: happened a little bit. Like that was where he like opened the door and saw the girl showering, and like that's where he's been sleeping. But he—he he, he only gets to be in Dresden for like two nights. Like the first night, like the shower thing happens. The second night, it's bombed. So like he really doesn't do. So there's a whole only lot one
1: there. day of syrup making.
0: I think for Kurt Vonnegut, there were weeks of syrup making, but in this book, it was just. Not that long.
1: Okay. I think. We also don't really know the timeline for Billy for obvious reasons. It's <laughs> a little hard. But okay, so the next chapter. So Billy is in the hospital. This is after the plane crash with the optometrist, and his wife gets the news and she's like freaking out. And so she drives to the hospital and then hits another car, and then it messes up her car's exhaust system. So when she gets back on the road and drives to the hospital the rest of the way, she pulls over, and they open the door, and she's, like, turned totally blue because she's got carbon monoxide poisoning. And then she, like, dies immediately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: no. Yeah,
1: because she was so upset, and she loved him so much. And he's unconscious the whole time this is happening. There's another horrible guy who we're going to meet, which is the guy that is in the bed next to Billy at the hospital. He's way worse. Who's a history professor from Harvard. His name is Rumford. Rumford. He had a ski
0: accident, and he has his fifth wife with him, who is um forty-seven years his senior. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. forty-seven He's, years his junior. I wish that would have made her a hundred. <laughs> <and>, yeah. <laughs>
1: And also he
0: is writing a
1: book about how great the bombing of Dresden was. Why? Like
0: it was a huge success because, oh, we killed all these people without nuclear bombs. And like everybody wants to talk about how bad Hiroshima was, but Hiroshima didn't kill as many people as Dresden and they did use nuclear bombs. So everybody who says we shouldn't have nuclear bombs, just think about how bad Dresden was. Or how great it was, basically. (laughs) Yeah, or how many people died and how great that was because so many people Mm -hmm. died. Yes. So Rumford is also the last name of a family in The Sirens of Titan, but this guy is not one of them. But so he mm. he just keeps reusing names. It's hard to come up with names.
2: <laughs> I, I understand. I'm sure where he's he did. I'm from. sure he
0: did it on purpose. <laughs>
2: yeah. I feel like he just didn't he didn't want to come up with any more names, so he just reused them, yeah. which is exactly what I would do. Yeah.
0: Or like he goes to see he I was going to say he he shows up in the bathroom and he turns on the light and sitting on the toilet is his son Wild Bob. <laughs> yeah name. <laughs> so um
1: the professor is is really mean to billy like whenever so there's a period where billy tries today. to talk about dresden and the professor's like this guy's a freaking vegetable and he has echolalia he's just copying things that he's heard me say and so they test billy out and and everyone's like he doesn't have that so then he tries to tell the professor, like, oh, I was at I was in Dresden, actually. And the guy's like, I don't want to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah, he says to his young, t- young, young wife, like, oh, we should get him a veterinarian or a tree surgeon. They'd know what to do with him. He's not a human anymore. Yeah, they want to, and he wants to saw kill all a, Billy. Yeah, and there was one tiny little funny thing, which was... The wife, Lily, is saying, like, he scares me. Like, I don't like him. He said, like, he's always making sounds and he's scary and he talks in his sleep. And Rumford is like, he's not scary. He's boring the hell out of me. Like, all he does in his sleep is, like, give up and cry and whine and ask to be left alone and surrender. Like, this guy sucks.
2: Yeah. i will he's say just though, repeating
0: everything he said in the war like just leave yeah. me
2: alone leave me. Here. i don't I like up. rumford either but i also like i don't like billy so i don't <laughs> mind when he's having a bad time like i, I want billy to have a bad time he's not that <laughs> yeah. bad becca i hate him i'm i'm happy for him she's to have here a bad for time. the hot takes oh so it's funny <laughs> sorry also, billy
0: there's an article i'll talk about towards the end of this um which posits that like basically the reason this whole book works is because billy is lovable i think he's lovable
2: (laughs) i think he made mistakes maybe you guys just aren't good at telling me about billy maybe that's it's your
0: fault yeah because because i don't like like fault. i think you have to i think you have to take this very literally i think you have to take it literally like he went through all these things and he thinks that everything has always happened all the time i would kind of mess up your brain why would that
2: make me like him yeah it doesn't make me like him (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it it might make you understand why he's so weird. That wouldn't. Make I can sense. understand that someone and still not
2: like them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm.
2: I'm not that apt to like people. <laughs> I think the the other point just. is
0: just that like he he's not violent and he's looking around and kind of just giving everyone the benefit of the doubt all the time, which makes him kind of stupid and naive. But he's kind of like a he's kind of just like a little. He's a child basically. He's a childlike character. He's a child in a man's body. And that's part of why I think this book is like subtitled The Children's Crusade. Like, he's literally a child and he Not never literally. really grows up. Well, no, mentally, he's a child. <laughs> Figuratively, he's a child.
1: Anyway, so Billy travels back to Dresden, and this is right before the war ends. And a lot of Germans have already fled the area because they know that the Russians are on their way. And Billy is, like, hanging out with some other prisoners, and they find a wagon with some horses, and they decide, oh, let's put some souvenirs and food in this.
0: (laughs) So they go back to Dresden, and they're, like, kind of, you know, looting and stuff, and Billy is laying in the back of the wagon just thinking, like, man, I'm so happy, I'm warm, I'm going to get to go home, the war is over. Um, And then these two Germans walk by, and they're like, you should be ashamed of yourself, and they show him, like, the horses who have been carrying their cart – are like in terrible shape, like their mouths are bleeding, their hooves are broken. They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah.
1: hungry and thirsty, and yeah.
0: Yeah, and he bursts into tears, and this is the first time he's cried about anything in the war at all, is about these horses. Um, and then Vonnegut puts in this part where it's like, and he was just like, jesus in the little christmas carol where it says like the little lord jesus no crying he makes because he would weep like later in his life uncontrollably right but he never made any sound but this was like the one time he like cried um so that happened um (laughs) that's really sad he goes back and um He goes back to the hospital in Vermont. Um, He's talking to Rumford and Rumford is like, look, the bombing had to be done. Um, Billy is brought home from the hospital at this point, but he sneaks out and he goes to New York City because he's like, I got to get on TV. I got to start <laughs> talking about the time travel and the spaceships. This really hit me because he, so he checks into his hotel and he's like looking out on the city and he opens these like French doors onto his balcony and he says the balcony was, or the French doors reminded him of like his honeymoon suite with Valencia. But, you know, those doors are still there. They're always there. They're always going to be there. They always were there. And I was just like, oh, somehow that hits harder than saying like, but those doors are gone now. You know, it's mm. like, she's gone. But, like, this whole time, like, is somewhere. It's just you can't access it. It's so sad. He goes outside and he walks around. And there's this, like, pornographic bookstore. And he looks around at that. There's a a Kilgore. They
1: have Kilgore Trout books in the window.
0: In the window, which is basically just, like, the thing they put in the window because they can't put something super lewd in the window. (laughs) So you're not really supposed to be interested in the books. They're just there. So he goes in and he's looking Uh, at them. There's one called The Big Board. B-O-A-R-D. And it's about a man and a woman who are displayed in a zoo on a planet called Zircon 212. And the aliens show them this big board of stock exchange numbers and say, hey, we invested a million dollars for you on Earth. What we need you to do is like learn how to manage money so that when we return you to Earth, your million dollars will have grown and grown and grown, and then you'll be like unimaginably wealthy. So they get them That's to, like, nice do them. all these different things. Well, unfortunately, it's fake. They did this just to make the humans perform for the other Ooh, for the it's aliens. it's like a
2: game show. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but the humans don't know it's fake. So they, you know, get them all excited and make them jump up and down and make them sad and make them cry. And the aliens are like, wow, this is so interesting. And then, like, they'd be shown news saying, like, this industry is going downhill and, you know, maybe we should all pray about things. So, they would pray for a certain industry to get better. And then sure enough, it would get better. So they're like tricking them into thinking that prayer is real and like all these terrible things. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I just wanted to mention one other story, which is just like so messed up. (laughs) Someone in this novel travels to meet uh, Jesus as a 12 year old. Jesus is 12 and he's learning carpentry with his dads. And, uh, you know, they get assigned to build a crucifix And they build a crucifix, and somebody is executed on that crucifix that Jesus built. And then later, he gets to time travel to Jesus' own execution, and he brings a stethoscope with him and listens to his heart to see, like, oh, is the Son of God still here or not? And he's like, nope, he's dead. And, like, that's the story. Um, That's a
2: crazy story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and he, he's in this nasty bookstore again, so he sees um, a magazine that says, like, oh, whatever happened to Montana Wild Hack, this porn star? And it's, like, he knows that she's alive and he's well like, and pregnant oh, with his child. Oh, she's on the
2: with our baby. With our
0: baby, yeah. What
2: about the four years she's
1: not there, though? I mean, there she's only there for four years. The time, like time works differently, so I don't know. But he says she's raising their child. I don't think she's think pregnant at this point. I think
0: it's still within the four years because, yeah, I don't think it's in this time. I don't think it's been that long since he was first abducted but um anyway so everybody's like oh she was definitely murdered and he's like she's nah, raising her baby
1: but also in the magazine they have still images from a bunch of like pornos that she was in as a teen which like makes me even more like billy you should have not you should have left her alone he didn't look at them i no i'm saying this poor girl and also she had like an alcoholic mom and she was like acting in pornography as a teenager and then now she was kidnapped by aliens and it's all this and i'm like you should have just like been the adult and said no we're not gonna hook yeah. up and have a baby for the aliens
0: amusement i don't know if he knew all that stuff but yeah definitely if he did that was that was messed up he's he's poor girl he knew a lot of the other stuff so um at this point, like, the clerk of the store says, ooh, I got some really nasty stuff in here for some connoisseurs if you want to see what I have. And he's like, not really, but he shows him the picture of the woman and the pony attempting intercourse that oh, Roland no. Weary had. Yeah. So these things keep coming recurring back.
1: recurring joke
0: for this yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so funny. He goes, he doesn't manage to get on TV, Billy Pilgrim, but he does manage to get on a radio show. So he goes in, and this is so funny because it's like our podcast, and it's a mm-hmm. a book critique show. And so he convinces them that, like, he's a literary a critic. critic. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm from the Iliad, Iliad, sorry. He's fairly, he's like, I'm from the Ilium Gazette. So they let him on the show, and they go around talking about, like, is the novel dead? And I wanted to just read a couple of these because it's so funny. Okay. Um, (laughs) So they, all these intellectual people are going around in a circle talking about the death of the novel. Um, One of them is like, yeah, it'd be a good time to bury the novel because we've got Uncle Tom's cabin so we could be done now. And another one said, oh, people like can't read anymore anyway because they just can't like, translate print into like exciting images so we just have to perform the books in public and not worry about printing the books um someone said uh when asked what they thought of the function of the novel in to be in modern society someone said to provide touches of color in rooms with all white walls one said to describe blowjobs artistically one said to teach wives of junior executives what to buy next and how to act in a French restaurant. All these you know, put trenches things. So then Billy's allowed to talk, and he starts talking about flying saucers. He's like, <laughs> and "Okay, let like, me tell you about Tralfamador. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, he they kick him out, and he goes back to his hotel room, and he travels back to Montana on Tralfamador. and she's like, Ugh, "You've been try- You've been time traveling again. I can tell." Where did you go? I know it wasn't the war. And he's like, oh, I was in New York. Like I was walking around. I saw a magazine with you and I saw like some stills from like a porn movie you were in one time. And she says, yeah, well, I've heard about you in the war and what a clown you were. And I heard basically you and all your little war friends made a porno movie about war. (laughs) <laughs> which I was like, damn. Wait, was
2: he trying to be like accusatory when he brought that up? Like he resented
1: no. her past. No, oh, I think okay. he just says things. I don't really. He's just think...
0: like, oh, I. This is what happened when what I, I was saw. there. Yeah. Also, and he's like, yeah, well.
1: Also, so the locket she has with the picture of her mom, it has the Serenity Prayer on the locket, which is also the plaque that he had in his office. So like, there's another little connection. So he just yeah. happens to have read a book about a human couple taken to an alien planet and seen a magazine that's like, what happened to this porn star? Mm. And also, and then he um. travels to this planet and she's got this thing. So
0: anyway, just some
1: more connections.
0: Yeah, and I think what's awesome about this is like you could, at like as I did as a teenager, like look at all those little connections and recurring things and be like, oh yeah, everything is connected. Like, wow, that's wild. Or you could be like, you know, you could be like Rachel just said and be like, oh, so this is like indicators that he hasn't come up with all or like these things didn't actually happen. He's just putting things into his imaginings that mm-hmm. he, you know, noticed in his life. But it is kinda I mean, described kind of magical. So anyway, this is the last chapter now. Now the Kurt Vonnegut like first person narrator takes back over and he says, Robert Kennedy was shot, MLK Jr. was shot, there's the war going on in Vietnam, all these people are dying, my father died, he was really nice. Um, he talks about how on trial Amador, they think that Charles Darwin is more interesting than Jesus. They like, love if you ask Darwin. Them, yeah, if you ask them, like, Ooh, what do you think is the most important, you know, human, they don't say Jesus. They say Charles Darwin because I don't think they agree with him. I think they just think he's really interesting because Darwin's whole idea is if you die, you're meant to die and corpses are improvements. But they don't believe in <laughs> death really so but also like like, wow that's a crazy thing to say
1: i think that's a funny interpretation of him it is it's hilarious
0: yeah yeah corpses are improvements
1: (laughs) right and also the book that jackie talked about the big board those the aliens in that book are also really interested
0: in darwin yeah um Hmm. so at this point the kurt vonnegut character himself reflects on that and he's like well if all of this is true like if we do just like exist in all time periods and we never truly die forever and we you know we just bounce around like this he's like I mean I guess yeah then I would just want to spend all my time looking at the nice part he's also not like true. what
1: a wonderful philosophy about life he's like eh. yeah
0: he's like I don't think I would like that but if that was true I, I guess that's what I would deal with it (laughs) that's yeah anyway now it's billy pilgrim he's back in dresden he's digging in the ruins his friend edgar is shot for taking a teapot that isn't his which i'm just like why didn't you tell him not to take the teapot but i know you can't because that's not how
2: time works yes he can (sighs) you didn't even try yeah i'm sick of this joker (laughs) maybe he did
0: maybe he did try and we don't put it in the novel i don't know so the book now ends yeah and do you remember becca how Kurt Vonnegut said the book would end at the very beginning.
2: Tweet a tweet a wheat. really cute. That's really cute, but that's so much cuter.
0: <laughs> dee 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 dee. <laughs> so yeah, they're walking around in this like dead city that's been bombed, and he hears a bird, and it says "booty
1: wheat," <laughs> and that's the end. That's the end. Oh, it doesn't end with his death. No, no. But he you told you it was going to end with "booty wheat." <laughs> it middles with his death. Okay, let's discuss. So if it's science fiction, if it's a science fiction book about aliens and time travel, I really don't like Billy Pilgrim at all. I don't find him lovable. If it's actually a book about PTSD and how this guy deals with his PTSD, then I do like him and I feel really bad for him. I feel bad for him in both cases, but like if you think about it as though it's a PTSD story, then him saying, I know all these terrible things are going to happen, but I can't do anything to stop them. Like, it makes sense that he never tries because he doesn't actually know. He just keeps remembering it, but it's so vivid that he feels like he's in the moment and he's just reliving it over and over and he can't do anything because it's just a memory.
0: Yeah, well, or if you're so mentally ill or delusional that, like, you think that you know that, you might as well know it, right? Like, you're not going to try, not because you're a bad person, but because you think that you know something.
1: Well, yeah, he's
0: convinced himself
1: that he can't stop it. But
2: I feel like if he had tried, I feel like if it was a science fiction thing and it's like, like he's, he's just convinced himself he can't do anything, but he is in the moment. I feel like he would have, for me to give him the credit, I'd want him to have tried at least once (laughs) and it not work. Like he'd never even thought about trying. You know, like, it's like, maybe if he was thinking about it, it's like, oh, I was going to warn him not to take the teapot, but my mouth wouldn't open and my limbs wouldn't move. And it happened right in front of me. But it wasn't even that. It was just like, oh, I didn't even try to do anything because, you know, it's going to happen. And I think,
0: I mean, I think ultimately, like, the whole point of the book is obviously it's supposed to be about PTSD. So, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just that or do you think it could also be partially that and partially an alien story I mean, I mean to me
1: to me it's not at all to me he's just using the aliens like as a conceit to kind of explore how it feels to have PTSD and make it more obvious to people which when I first read the book back as a young teen I read it as like straight sci-fi with like oh yeah. interesting connections but then reading it as an adult to me I can't and, like even knowing really... about
0: his life yeah. yeah
1: I yeah knowing more about Kurt Vonnegut and Like knowing more about PTSD, I can't read it at all as a sci-fi, which like if somebody wants to say it is, I would say fine. I don't care if you think that. But I just to me, I think it's just about PTSD and I think it's a better book if if that's what's happening and it's not, you know, oh, alien sex dome. And then I forgive a lot of the sexism. Yeah, (laughs) I think
0: uh, so. Two things. Okay. One is just a funny aside. Um, So, I was given this book by my favorite English teacher in high school, and she inscribed in the cover, to my favorite Tralfemidorian. Dear Jackie, I hope
1: this happens to
0: you. No. (laughs) She says, to my favorite Tralfemidorian. And now I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're very ableist. (laughs) So careful, Jackie.
0: (laughs) Um, But the other thing is, so... um, I read when I was preparing to talk about his bio, this great article. I thought it was great by Salman Rushdie. Oh, that guy. I thought it, well, I I liked it. He's
1: not a bad writer. He's just a bad
0: guy. Uh, He says, like, what does Slaughterhouse-Five tell us now? And I'll just read it. So he's like, you know what? At that time, I think it was 2019. It had been 74 years since Kurt Vonnegut actually was in Dresden. It was 50 years since the book was published what does it actually tell us? He says, it doesn't tell us how to stop wars. It tells us that wars are hell, but we already knew that. It tells us that most human beings are not so bad except for the ones who are, and that's valuable information. I'm quoting directly. It tells us that human nature is the one great constant of life on earth, and it beautifully and truthfully shows us human nature neither at its best nor at its worst, but how it mostly is most of the time. Even when the times are terrible. And I'm just gonna pop out here as with Jackie for a second. I think that's why there's so much like gross bodily functions in this book. There's a ton of them, right? It's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. that's just like how people are and it's gross and like you just have to get used to it. Who
1: among us doesn't poop in the dark
0: with an electric guitar, you know? It's just humanity. That wasn't the grossest part. That wasn't graphic (laughs) at all. Um, So going back into this, it doesn't tell us how to get to the planet Tralfamador, but it does tell us how to communicate with its inhabitants. Um, I can't read this next part because that spoils the Sirens of Titan, but (laughs) basically it just tells us like, I think the whole point, like I said, is most people aren't violent. This whole world is very violent, can be, but also, like, even within that, like, you've got these people who are totally not in control whatsoever, and they just try to be kind of good to each other. Like, the German couple at the inn, they were like, okay, you're people. Like, you can sleep here. We'll feed you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Billy's not really good to anyone, though.
0: He's not really bad to anyone, ex- except for maybe his wife. But he's he's yeah. just not good or bad. Neutral
1: he- is not good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a—I do think it's a really good book. I think it's—nay. Uh, a great book. Ooh. I've already thought it was a great book. The biggest flaw is how Vonnegut wrote about women. He did a bad job. Like— And it it took me out of the book. Like there were multiple times when I would be reading the book or listening to it and like being sucked in and being like, oh, this is really good. I'm, you know, I'm really feeling it. And then Mm -hmm. there would be something about
0: women and I'm like, oh, come on. (laughs) It could that, is that intentional? I have no idea because it's so stark, right? Like Barbara, his daughter is terrible. Valencia is fine, but described I think Vonnegut
1: had some women problems too. I think you can, I did a little bit of researching and he had some sexism. The problem is, This is an issue that you see a lot of times with people who have, theoretically, have good politics, good ideas, whatever. So he was a humanist. He was all about, like, humans, We're this is what we have. We have to be good to each other. We can't be doing, like, can't be having these wars, whatever. Like, we need to treat people, like, all humans with dignity and respect, whatever.
0: But he doesn't subdivide that and be like, some humans are not treated as well.
1: (laughs) He just, well, he also, he doesn't seem to really... Treat women that the same way. Theoretically, I think he knows that women are humans, but the way that he writes them, he doesn't write them like he does.
0: But, like, would he, I don't know, and there could be an answer to this, which I haven't found, but like, would he say he's a feminist or would he just say, like, I'm not a feminist, I'm a humanist, like, everybody should be cool?
1: (laughs) I have no idea how I I used to
0: think as a teenager. Yeah,
1: I really, and I don't think, like, I don't think in general that he was sexist like i think that he certainly treated some women badly at times in his life but i think in general he was probably like a pretty good guy and like treated women pretty well it's just there are a lot of authors or a lot of male authors who just cannot seem to get it through their heads that women are just Mm -hmm. people and we're not (laughs) the kind of people who are like oh an old man with a big penis love it or love like, it. oh, I'm so stupid, I'll believe anything. Or like, yeah. oh, I'm fat, so I could never find love. Like, I'll do anything you want. Like, come on. That's just so many things like so to have in one book. Right. Well, I think it's like
0: racism, right? Like, I don't think I'm a racist person, but I have had racist thoughts. I've probably done racist things, like, just because I'm a human, right? Like, all white people need to understand that they live in a system that is privilege towards them. And therefore, we can't ever be totally free of all bad thoughts ever, right? Like we have to try to think about like how to combat them and how to be a better person, etc. But like, I don't know. I mean, the problem is
1: having a thought, if you have a thought, like let's say he had a sexist thought, okay, you can't control that. You can notice it and observe it and analyze it and move on. But he wrote these books and edited them and like spent years on them. So that's the (laughs) difference between thinking Uh, Like, thinking a racist thought and being like, that's bad, I need to work on that. And writing a book where, like, all the Black characters are stereotypes. I
0: just wanted to finish that thought, sorry. So I think I'm agreeing with you because uh, this kind of gets off topic, but, like, one of the problems with how, like, we think about racism is that, like, we take racist as, like, a whole description of a person and then, like, nobody wants to hear that they're racist So they don't Mm -hmm. listen to the part where you say, like, okay, forget about the fact that I said that. The point is that you do racist things. But, like, when they hear that as a descriptor of themselves, it makes it, like, impossible for them to do anything or, like, think anything after that. So I think I'm agreeing with what you're saying where it's, like was Kurt Vonnegut a horrible sexist no but he definitely did sexist things
1: I would guess that he was probably better than average honestly like probably yeah. significantly better than average it's just like sorry dude but we're still reading your books to this day and like I understand you know times change blah blah, blah but like women have been people throughout all of history and he definitely mm-hmm. knew a lot of women in his life so he would know that they're also normal people it just mm-hmm. really took me out of the book so I that's yeah. my that's that's my big problem with it otherwise I think this is a really really like a great anti-war book it's a really good ptsd book i would recommend mm-hmm. it to a lot of people but i would also if it's a woman particularly i would say you know just beware <laughs>
0: don't, don't expect a lot on that front
1: yeah i was just gonna say honestly i would re- when people
2: write not people men when <laughs> men write women like this i wish that they had just not written any women characters at all like lord of the rings like go the token route (laughs) yeah yeah it's just like maybe he didn't have confidence that he could write a good female character and he was like maybe i just won't just to make sure i don't do something terrible you know it's not great to not have female characters but it's worse to make them like this and it's kind of like to read these characters and it's like these are the only women in your book and this is how they are it's like you There's no way that this man actually thought of women as people because it's like you can't think of women as people and then their characters are like this because if you think of them as people, they would read as people or at least one of them would read as a person,
0: you know, right? Or I wonder if it's, like, oh, yeah, like, I treat the women in my life, like, okay, or maybe even very well, but, like, this woman character doesn't exist, so I don't care about her. She's not a person. But he as- he ascribes a lot of humanity to, like, all the male characters. So it's hard to say. Yeah.
2: But I think, like, you can – okay. Like, I think it's almost like – because I – love my pets I don't Mm -hmm. think they're people though I mean like I know I say that I (laughs) think they're people but like I don't think they're of the same mental capacity as me because they're not and I love them anyway so I think it makes me feel like a patronizing kind of love like that like maybe he had women in his life that he truly loved but not Mm -hmm. as people and I don't think anyone who's truly ever had a deep emotional connection to an actual woman before could have like all these female all characters and like not a single one
1: of them like with any depth to her at all. You and know? the thing yeah. is like they are kind of caricatures but also the male characters are also caricatures but they feel more like people
0: way more (laughs) well and just more interesting they're just
1: so flat
2: the women are props the women are props and the male characters are characters yeah and and
1: even the male characters who only come in and out of the story briefly they still have more life to them Mm -hmm. than the women which here's the thing is i'm really going in hard on this book and this is a book that i really like a lot like the amount of criticism <laughs> I'm giving it, I think, is just because I'm like, you
0: are so close, man. So close. Well, yeah. the, you know what I just thought about? The only woman in the book who I think is interesting and is treated like a person is Mary, the very first woman in the book where yeah. he's describing his right. friend's in the frame wife narrative. and she's mad at
1: them. Yeah. But like if she's a real woman he knew in real That's life. That's based on real events.
2: So he didn't have to write her. He just knew
0: her. So then it's like the pet thing like Becca mentioned. Like, oh yeah, I like that woman. But, yeah. but also
2: like her. because it seems like if all that happened more or less, he's just saying what she said. He didn't have to put any energy <laughs> into
1: creating her. Right. Right. If that's really what happened.
0: He, he didn't have to have this fictional writer spit a fish egg into her boobs. Right.
1: Exactly. There's just like, what did that give the story to have this really stupid woman who's so hot? I don't think Becca would enjoy this book, but I think if she wants to read a book that like explains PTSD really well and is an enjoyable read, you should Unlike try it. Catcher
0: in the Rye, I don't which know. is also I, a great like book, Catcher but Rye, maybe not maybe as more than.
1: More than Slaughterhouse-Five, but I really like both of them. These are both typical- Yeah, no, I loved it. You know, like boy books where they people are like, oh, they suck, but actually they're
0: good. Right, exactly. Um, Maybe Becca should read it just to make sure that we didn't just totally describe everything wrong, and maybe she would like Billy Pilgrim.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she doesn't have time right now, but maybe someday. Maybe in two years I'll read it when I I graduate school. No, we
0: need you to start like (laughs) amassing some crazy dental stories so you can- tell us those.
1: i would i would be interested in having if we can find like someone who has ptsd who has read this book to talk to us about it that would be that would be interesting so if i ever find if i ever come upon that maybe i'll see if i can get them to come on i don't know
2: i don't think i've ever known anyone and this might i haven't known that many people who had ptsd but i also feel like the ones i knew were not big readers and I'm wondering if that has
0: anything to do with it. I don't
2: know. Maybe it's hard imagine. to focus on a book. Yeah, that could be. Well,
0: it's not like you're constant. I mean, you're not literally Billy Pilgrim, like, flashing back all the time uncontrollably, like, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, it's interesting. Today, yeah. my dad oh, – I have
2: one takeaway. My only thing is how he's like, oh, you know, like, why would you care if you die? Because you're still alive in the past, blah, blah, blah. You're always living all your things at once, and you only want to focus on the good things, blah, blah, blah. If I even if I felt like that, I would still want to live longer because if I live longer, I have more boring. opportunity to amass good memories. Exactly. So then when I'm flipping through my good memories, I have more variety.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So that's yeah. how I feel. You proved
1: him wrong. <laughs> I don't
2: know. But I, he, he doesn't have much of a preference for anything, though, it seems. I right? mean,
0: th- he tries not to die. Like, I don't know. Seems no, like he, he
2: doesn't. Honestly, he, never he really tries does not doesn't, to though, die. yeah.
0: Purpose- <laughs> because <laughs> Roland Weary <laughs> had to tell him, like, hey, don't let the guy take a second shot at you if he missed the first World. time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be a challenge to edit. Um, it's long now. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, but it's not too long of a recording. No, it's just going to be a yeah. challenge. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> okay,
2: everyone. If you enjoyed our podcast, please continue to listen to it. And if you really enjoyed it or you have some extra money lying around, consider supporting us on Patreon where you can have access to bonus content. And episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do they find our Patreon? By typing what into their browser. You type in okay,
0: patreon.com slash fire the And we also have a Instagram account. Fire the Cannon Pod, and that's the same thing as our twi- uh, as our Twitter and our TikTok. Sweet. We have a TikTok. Yeah, we have a TikTok girl. Okay. We do have a TikTok. We're yeah. famous on TikTok. <laughs>
1: fire the Cannon Pod. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter.
0: Every time we mention the TikTok on the podcast, I always update you with how many views the Kafka video has. It's up to almost nineteen now. Wow.
1: Whoa. That's pretty good, yeah, I think. that
0: Kafka TikTok is more popular than all the episodes of the actual podcast put together. TikTok is so fast to watch, yeah. TikTok is crazy. But yeah, you can also get in touch with us at firethecanonpod at gmail.com, or you can send us a message through our website, firethecanonpod.com. We would love to hear your feedback, and if you want to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or give us five stars on Spotify or is it thumbs up? Whatever. Give us us a good thing on Spotify if you so desire. I did recently, probably Mm -hmm. nobody is listening by this point, but if you are listening, uh, (laughs) did recently realize a thing I didn't know before, which is that if you are a patron of our podcast, currently you cannot listen to the bonus episodes, like the full versions of them on Spotify, because Spotify doesn't currently support Patreon. However, they are working on that and that will change, I believe. So right now, if you're a patron and you're having trouble finding your bonus content on Spotify, it's because it's not there. What you have to do is listen to the link that gets uh, emailed to you, or you
1: can go you can go to Patreon and listen there, or you
0: can go to Patreon what about and listen Apple Podcast,
1: to or you maybe. could download
0: Apple Podcast. You can
1: definitely yeah. do it on Apple. Yeah, yeah. If
0: you're having trouble on Spotify, that's why.
1: Soon they will be pa- pairing up and letting you listen to Patreon exclusives on Spotify, so yeah.
0: it'll work out. So if you've been thinking this whole time, like, oh, I don't want to. I, don't, I can't patronize because I have Spotify and I don't have Apple Podcasts. Well, now you can. Just do it a different way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.